The team at Aquarius knows your furnace has been working hard and knows warm weather is just around the corner. Cannot wait for that. That means it's the perfect time to tune up both your furnace and your air conditioner. And during the month of March, you can get both your furnace and your AC tuned up for just $55. That's right, both for 55 bucks. And at Aquarius, you'll get amazing professional service and no surprise upfront pricing. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended, which is why I always recommend them. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention Russo sent you. Anthony, um, I asked on Twitter as a joke today, uh, because the Wild are not playing very well. I said, uh, please, uh, they can only be cheery, uplifting, positive Wild questions from a reader. And this one made me laugh out loud. Somebody, uh, Steve Hoagland asked, is this the best swoon you've ever covered? <laughs> <laughs> That's cheery. I mean, I mean, it just like some of them were very creative, but that one literally made me laugh. And, uh, I liked the tweet, so uh, so good good tweet, Steve. It's yeah, it's sure. It's my favorite swoon. That's the one thing I was talking to somebody at the rink today. It doesn't matter how many like players change, managers change, coaches change, they still always have this midseason swoon, and a lot of times it's in March. And so does every other team in the NHL. I know, but it feels like only the Wild do. It's crazy that every team has them, and every team has goalies that let in soft goals. Every team has little bumps in the road, and everybody is always the most passionate and most aware of what happens to their team. And that's what's happening with the Wild right now. Well, it's now this is the challenge: is how how do you minimize the damage when you hit your swoon? Yeah, and um, the great teams do it in three or four games. The teams that end up on the bubble, it drifts into seven, eight, nine games. And the teams that are one that wind up on the outside of the playoffs looking in are the teams where it turns into 12 games. No doubt about that. And um, I, th- I think the one that really, I mean, this, you know, I wrote this yesterday, the, 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 the one thing that really hurts here is they're getting no points. Like, you know, they don't even get the benefit of the lo- like losing in overtime every now and then. And uh, so you can't even get that satisfaction. And it's just, I think what's so perplexing about this one, Anthony, is that they're largely healthy. In fact, tomorrow uh, night against, or tonight, this podcast is going to come out against the New York Rangers. They're basically going to be healthy for the first time that they had COVID in uh, Seattle. And this one just, they were, everything was rocking and rolling. They beat Carolina. They beat Detroit. We started in that Detroit game to see slips in their game. But now it has just been a month of really poor hockey. Well, but remember, the Detroit game then was they, they, I think they were they were fine until they came out of the break and coming out of the break it just doesn't seem like it's been quite right and yes largely healthy but I'd argue the guys that they were missing are guys that were key in the games that they lost mm-hmm. not having Matt Dumba and Jordan Greenway were a big deal because of the fact that it 
forced some juggling in the lineup. It forced some reshuffling of defensive pairs. Then you throw in a couple games without Zuccarello. Yes, largely healthy, but still missing key pieces. And I think that was no small part. No, I don't disagree at all. Um, you know, uh, but they man, they've got to get their act together. And the game against the Rangers won't be easy. I assume Shuster can start, and we'll find out. Obviously, um, I haven't seen if that was announced today yet. But they're playing really quality hockey. And then obviously uh, the Wild go to Detroit and Columbus. Columbus is usually a tough building for the Wild to play in. And then uh, that's going to be a weird game. Both teams in the second of a back to back. And uh, then come home for the nine-game homestand, starting with Miko Koivu night, which you got to just do a run-through, um, you know, without giving any away trade secrets, uh, Anthony. Uh, is this going to be a pretty cool ceremony? It'll be a cool ceremony. It's crazy how many there have been this year. I think they told me there had been seven. I think a lot of, and because of the COVID at last year and not having fans in the building. Could yet. be. It's now been they, Rene, Zuboff, Lundquist. Um, Nash was Nash. just recently. They included Willie O'Ree in there. Right. But I think there have been seven, I think was what he said today, I think. And we've been, a, we were there for the Lundquist one. You know, this is, it's, this is different than Lundquist. It, there's no question about that. And when you watch what we watched in New York, and you've got four other guys who have had their jersey retired, all there in attendance, it's just different. This is There isn't the history here that there is in New York. But I think there's going to be a cool ceremony. I'm excited to get to be a part of it, honored to be a part of it. And you know, I think it's fitting that the first jersey that's raised to the rafters here is the guy that was the first permanent captain in the history of the team. And Basically played his whole career here, other than a handful of games the fall, the last season in Columbus. Was a part of the Wild from almost the beginning. If you go, it was the old one draft when he was selected. He's really been a part of this franchise from the start and has represented it well in all ways. I think it's fitting that his is the first name to go up there. Yep. Sunday, uh, 3.45, the gates open. 5 o'clock, the ceremony uh, starts promptly, and then the uh, the game will follow that. Uh, the one hint, uh, the, the one thing that I think you can pretty much uh, guess is that Mikhail Granlin will take the opening face-off with Jared Spurgeon, and that'll be pretty neat. Uh, Miko Koivu will drop that puck. But again, 3.45, the gates open. Five o'clock, uh, the ceremony emceed. Am I allowed to say who it's emceed by? Okay, then emceed by my co-host, Anthony LaPanta. <laughs> For some reason, they didn't ask me. I don't get it. I'm not sure why. Yeah, I'm I don't sure know why. I'm sure you were among the final candidates. Yep, yep. Um, I have a great, great television voice. Um, you know, uh, but, you know, I, I will say this, um, and I, I know that this is one podcast that I do on the Talk North Network, but I, I do have another podcast uh, that you could find on Apple also for free, uh, the Athletic Podcast. I sit down, la sat down last week with Miko, and I know you sat down for a Bally Sports North special that ran for the first time the other night. Um, and so I did this podcast last week with, with Miko. It's going to run probably Wednesday afternoon, uh, with a story that's going to go with that. And it's the most relaxed, most fun I've had with Miko in my career. And I've known him for 17 years now. Um, we sat for 55 minutes. Um, he cut open a vein about everything. I mean, he talked about Parisian suitor. He talked about how difficult it was his entire, not just playing career in pros, his childhood growing up as Saku Koivu's brother. Um, he talks about the different smells in arenas. He talks about why he, you know, hated playing in the Calgary Flames and, uh, you know, the pressure of being captain. And, and he, you know what uh, one of the best parts of the podcast is, is what, when he talked about how much 
you know, in hindsight, maybe he was too intense, but then he had this conversation with Jacques Lemaire a couple of weeks ago that Jacques like, yeah, but that was what made you, you. And then he, you know, he talks about his regrets and sometimes on how he dealt with the media. And I mean, it was really a fascinating conversation. He was so laid back. And I just think that Wild fans, whether you loved him or, or mediocre toward him or weren't a fan of him, I think if you listen to this, I think you're going to be really um, struck by the one thing that he says over and over again about how he just loved being a Minnesota Wild and wanted to make fans proud on an every night basis. That and wanted nothing more than to win. Mm -hmm. He just wanted to win. He was intense. He was stubborn. He was competitive as hell. And wanted to win, yet played the game the way he was taught to play the game. And there was no other way to do it. He could have cheated the game to try to score more. He could have tried to appease the critics. When you think about it over his career, most of the critics had to do with how much he scored. And the line that bothers me as much as any is people say we're retiring the jersey of a third-line center. He was not a third-line center. He was... If he had scored more, he would have been looked at as the premier defensive center in the NHL during his career. Would have been every year a Selkie finalist, but he didn't score enough to sometimes garner that attention. There weren't very many guys you'd rather have on the ice if you're trying to shut down the other team's best guy. And the pride he took in that was unbelievable. And no matter what the scoring slump was, he never changed. You didn't see him, I haven't scored in 10 games, so I'm going to start floating out here because I need a point. It didn't matter to him. He wanted to win, and that was it. Yeah. And would he'd rather step on you than lose to you. Yeah. And then you take, on top of that, the kind of guy he was and how active he was charitably in the community, everything he did for Children's Hospital. And it when you would talk to him about that kind of stuff, you could tell the emotions were so true that it really mattered to him. This was not a guy just attaching his name to a charity because he felt it was the, I got to have my name on something. It really mattered to him. And I remember talking to him about some of the things that he had donated there. And he was acutely aware of exactly how it was going to be used, the type of people that were the type of kid that would be in there, what his room was providing in terms of support for the family. When Parisian Suter came, he got those two involved with it. It was all that kind of stuff matters. And I just think it's, this is a, a top end guy and was a top end player. Should be an emotional ceremony. I, I can't wait to watch uh, Vinny, your son. He's a huge fan. He's going to probably have tears in his eyes. Um, you know, this podcast that I did with um, with Miko as well was really, really, uh, like he talks about like fighting with the linesman and how he did his sticks. I mean, I will say this, great questions by readers as usual. That's why I always ask questions for our podcast because, you know, they, they asked so many good questions to Miko that it really, to me, aided the podcast. So I really, really um, appreciate well, that. Well, I always think those are interesting in that they're not all good questions, but there are some <laughs> that are that are things that I always listen to it and think, well, if that's what the reader wants to know, yeah. then it's worth asking to Absolutely. a point. And there are some that are ridiculous, but there are a lot of them <laughs> that are, well, if that's truly, and I'll do that sometimes. If I'm going to sit down with somebody, a lot of times I'll reach out to my sons or to my friends that are hockey players and, and hockey people and say, hey, what would you want to hear from him? And Sometimes I'll just kind of laugh and say, there's no chance I'm going to ask him about that. But there are other times where you learn something, you find something there, and 
So it doesn't surprise me at all that yeah. you pick up a few angles of questions from listeners, readers, whatever you call them, viewers, that open some doors to conversations that might not otherwise been there. Look at what happens when you take Margo with you on your stories when she's going to shoot pictures. Uh, seriously. She asks questions that you would never think of. Yeah. And she's inquisitive and comes from a different perspective. And all of a sudden you wind up with a very comfortable guest yeah. answering her questions and you learn more there than you might yeah. have with your own. Margo's come with me for a couple of, she came with me to the Matt Olson uh, photo uh, interview and photo shoot at his house and she was outstanding. And then same thing with the Matt Cullen. That was fun as well. Um, and you're right. I mean, it just, she, it's like all of a sudden I'm just not the only one there and everybody gets sort of disarmed. It's pretty funny. Um, Miko, um, this or this podcast that's going to come out on Wednesday, it's going to be complemented by an article that I'm writing. And a lot of it's going to be, I mean, the, the quotes that you're going to see from Miko are all in the podcast. But I talked to Doug Reisbrow for the story. I talked to Saku yesterday from Finland. Um, I talked to Yarmo Kekalainen. So it's going to be a really cool story. And Saku, as usual, was really good. When I wrote all my Thousand Games stuff, we did, I don't know if you remember, because you were part of it. Um, I did like 2,000 game stories before uh, the week that he that he made his that uh, played his thousandth game for the Wild, and um, and you know, Saku was a huge part of that story as well, and and uh, it's pretty interesting. These are great stories, and I loved. We sat down, and I hope people have seen the special that our guys put together. They really did a great job with it. It's only a half hour show, could have been a two hour show. We actually sat for two hours that day doing the interview, and it really well produced. I think it looks great. And Miko was, he's still Miko. He's still a little bit guarded. And I agree with you. He was more open than he had ever been as a player. Mm-hmm. But it's still Miko. He yeah. still will not yep. say anything bad about yeah. a teammate. No doubt. And But I, I found it really interesting. And some of the pressures to which you referred already, being Saku's little brother. And, and even when I started to ask him about that first meeting when they played head-to-head, mm-hmm. he won't even I, I teed him up for it and he still wouldn't say that he beat Saku to score the winning goal that night. Yeah. It, it, well, didn't Curtis Foster scored the winning goal that he but stole, the puck, stole from, the puck from him from Saku. And, and he just, when I said that night, all he said is, yeah, if Curtis Foster ended up scoring the game winning goal. And it's like, but the whole play happened because you stole the puck from, from your, your brother. brother. And, <laughs> and then even like, again, like I asked him about like, you know, Miko versus Saku opening draw of the game. You won it. And he goes, yeah, but then we got scored on on the first shift. Like that's what he remembers from 2005. Right. Like what are the, uh, which is, that's what I'm crazy. saying is that this guy was as competitive and as yeah. stubborn and hated to lose as much or more than anybody that I've ever known in my life. Yeah. And and it that, I think, is what made him such a special player. Yep. Two years ago today, uh, 2020, you and I were at Mastro's in, um, in uh, Costa Mesa, California, if I remember correctly. Uh, great meal. Uh, the entire coaching staff, former coaching staff and general manager, all that was, was uh, actually, no, it would have been former coach. Well, I'm trying to remember now. It would have been, Dean was, would have been the coach, Bruce, right? Yeah, no. Bruce was far, was Bruce still the coach? He, no, it was because that happened Valentine's ish weekend. Yeah, so Dean, 
the coaching staff, Bill Guerin was in one room. I come find you in the bar area. We sit down and I got this seven and seven in front of me. And I'm like, what is this? I take a sip and I almost threw up right on the table. Um, but explain to everybody what we are toasting right now. And again, March 7, 2020, you and I had no clue that the next night when Kevin Fiala scored that overtime goal, that that would be the last regular season game of the 2019-20 season. It, that's And crazy, that the season would be postponed three days later. Right. Now, 7-7, it's a special day. It's uh, March the 7th was my father's birthday. And, and my brother's birthday today, by the way. Is that right? Yeah. And... So March the 7th, we, my dad drank seven sevens. And so in his honor, we drink seven sevens on the seventh that night. It was you and I. So, and we've had him a couple times. I think you were with me in St. Louis on his yep. birthday a few years ago at Palmano's and, yeah. and we had a seven sevens with, I know Dane Mizutani was mm -hmm. there and Mike Greenlee, I think. So we drink them. It's every year on this day. I, obviously I miss my dad and I, the, the stories and the memories are front and center for me. And I still to this day, the thing that I, re, uh, not regret, but the thing I, I wish I could have a do over on as much as anything is that he lived and died with my career quest mm -hmm. with jobs. I was chasing and for most of it didn't get while he was alive. <laughs> and, and then the I got the wild job in the spring, and he died in the fall. So, and it was the year of the lockout. So he passed before I ever called a wild game. And with how much more died than lived through my career struggles, I it it still it, it just kind of bothers me a little bit that he never got to he never got to see me yeah. achieve the goal that I had set out for my whole life. And my dad was an incredible man. He's a big reason why. I'm who I am. He was an unbelievable husband, an unbelievable father. He taught me a lot about work ethic. He, I've, I've not known anybody that worked harder than he did. He was an incredibly creative man, incredibly talented, far more than I am as a writer with his words, as an artist. And I just, I wish he could have, he would have loved this show. Yeah. He would have listened to this show every single week and would have analyzed every question that a fan asked. He would have analyzed every analysis that you or I made. It, he would have, he just was a, he wasn't a big hockey fan until I became a hockey fan. Mm -hmm. And then he was, yeah. he, he just, he knew it's what I loved and what I wanted. And yeah. so on these days, his drink of choice was a Seagram seven and seven. Wow. And, and every Every year on this day, I wish that we could have convinced him to drink red wine or <laughs> vodka or something yeah. because we none of us like these, yeah. but the whole family has them. Right now, Margo and Vinny are each having a 7-7 seven -seven with us while yeah. we do the show. And one of the things that's kind of funny about it is so our kids grew up, he was a big part of our life. He was, and as a side note to the story, we called him Hoyle. Right. As in like the, the book of cards, Hoyle mm -hmm. book. And it was because he was the worst card player I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he was so bad that we would just beat him at any game. And whenever he would, he always had a strategy and he would always, well, I was doing this. We said, you don't argue. He wrote the book on cards. It's Hoyle. It's, yeah. Hoyle wrote the book on cards. Don't argue with him. Yeah. He's so, lost 47 times in a row 
but he, he's got it. So clearly, your oldest son picked up after that, yet somehow still beat me in uh, all in yeah. at once. But so all of our they were. My dad was very active in our family's life. Our kids were his first grandchildren, and and family meant everything to him. And from the time our kids were probably five maybe younger, they learned how to mix seven sevens. When grandpa would come over, they'd mix up a seven seven for him. And they would, if you could see through them, they weren't strong enough. <laughs> My dad liked them strong. And now when they were old enough to start drinking the seven sevens with us, they now understand what it means when they'll sip it and say, holy cow, is that terrible and unbelievably strong. And that's how dark we used to make them for grandpa. And it just, it's a little bit, it's kind of a funny part to the story of how, how much he just, he would choke down whatever they made him. And, and it was a huge part of life. He was a big part of my life. And so therefore during this show tonight, we'll sip seven and sevens. And if it derails things a little bit later in the show, so be it. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, you said that your dad would have listened to every one of the shows. I know your mom listens to every one of the shows. I know my mom listens to every one of my podcasts and reads what, every one of my articles. So, so it's just something about parents. You know what you said when you said that you that you you know essentially became the wild beat writer after your father passed away. Um, I, I I was struck back in the mid '90s when my grandfather passed away. I was named the Panthers beat writer a week later, and I'm still convinced that he had something to do with it. You know, yeah. it's just, there's something about that. The one story I want you to tell about your dad, and I never unfortunately Fortunately, got to meet your dad. But the story that I absolutely love is when your father passed away, if I'm getting this right, AJ had a football game. That night. Yeah, and yeah. this is an unbelievable story. It was, uh, it was an emotional time for our family, obviously. It was, it was AJ's senior year of high school, and my dad had been diagnosed with dementia earlier in the year, and it went remarkably fast. And the how fast it went was bizarre, but the bottom line is we had checked him into a, a nursing home the night before on a Thursday night because they just said at the hospital he was progressing faster than than they thought. So the next day is a game day, first round of the state tournament. We're going to play Apple Valley, and game days are different for all of us. For I was coaching, but you know, family members, Margot my mom, everybody, they all have their routine and and they were all going to go to the game. That morning I went to do a radio show with Paul Allen at a Buffalo Wild Wings out in Oakdale or Lake Elmo. It's kind of the one kind of by where you live now. And I got done with the show and I was going to go to Lifetime Fitness in Woodbury, get a workout in, then stop and see my dad. This place where we had checked him in was in White Bear. I pulled into the parking lot in Woodbury and said, you know, I called my brother and I said, Hey, what are you doing? He said, I, you know, I was going to do this. I was going to work. And he said, but I think I might go see dad first. Have you seen him yet today? And I said, no, I was going to work out first and then stop. And so, but you know what, maybe I'll go see him first. So I start driving there. I get a call from Margot who had, she had some equipment issue with a camera where she was like going to get it checked out or something. I don't remember the exact details, but, and she said, yeah, but I, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to shoot over and see dad. And she stops at home to get Vinny. Bottom line is we all were going like eight different directions. And for some reason, all decided to go see my dad at a, at a early, earlier point in the day. We walked in the room. We were all sitting there. And my mom, I remember turning to my dad and he was, you know, he wasn't conscious and just said, hey, everybody's here. He died in five minutes. And 
AJ and Vinny were were there with them. And I just remember thinking, I'm glad Margo didn't call me to say, hey, should I bring AJ and Vinny? Because I would have said, for sure, no. AJ's got a game tonight. And But the fact that she brought him there. And so, you know, now he passes and we were all, you know, we said our piece, we called a priest, had him come in and give last rites. And none of us knew what to do. I mean, none of us were prepared for this. I walked down to the desk and I said, okay, well, what do we do next? And they said, well, you tell us what, you know, and it was the first time I had looked at the clock all day and I looked and I was like, well, they said, we've got it from here. If you, if you've had your priest and everything and look at the clock and I turned to AJ and I said, well, the bus leaves in an hour for the game. So I suppose we should shoot up to school. And so he and I jumped in the car, drove to, drove to school and he played the game that night. We won big against Apple Valley in the first round of state and ended up winning the state championship. And AJ probably played his three best games of his, of his career. First drive of the game that night against Apple Valley, he hits Charlie Miller, his best friend with a touchdown pass. It was just, there was definitely something from above going on for those three weeks Mm -hmm. and the role that I really believe my dad just, he wanted to watch the game and he knew he couldn't watch it laying in this bed. So it was time to go because I want to, I want to be able to watch from above and yeah, I'm a spiritual guy, but I wouldn't say I'm an overly spiritual guy. And there was something happening that day that pulled all of us together and then, and led that. So, you know, it's just, there's something there. My dad's, I, I believe he's enjoyed it. And I was just talking to Margo today. I really think if he's watching from above that he's loving watching the wild and watching what my career's turned into, how the the town, the team has embraced everything. I, I just know that I've told you many times, he would have loved coming to Sunday dinners yep. and listening to you or you and I or you and anybody talk about the wild. <laughs> and... He would have. He would have sat at the end of the table and soaked it all in, and he'd have called me on Monday morning. Yeah, you know, it's interesting what Michael said last night. I mean, he just that's the kind of guy he was. And yeah. so I know, we don't need to yeah. go down the diatribe anymore, but that's why yeah. we're drinking 7-7s seven, seven tonight in his well, honor. And, yeah. and this show is to Hoyle. Yeah. We'll, we'll toast to him. So uh, when my stepfather passed away, um, I, you know, the whole rest in peace thing is uh, real. Um, so... You guys were in San Jose. I, I left that trip in Dallas, if you remember, because my stepfather was put into hospice. And I go down to Atlanta, and the, his last night alive, I'm watching the 10.30 p.m. game in San Jose. And you're calling the game, and you're screaming, and Greenlay is talking and all this stuff, and he probably just cannot pass because you're talking and talking. And the last thing that I said out loud that my stepfather, before he died, uh, heard was called Pominville. Because <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but Pominville turned the puck over inside the blue line in overtime, and the Wild lost in overtime. And I just screamed, Pominville. And I turned the TV off. I go into my bedroom and I'm, I go to sleep. I say goodbye to Lenny, you know, thinking that I'll see him in the morning, even though he's, you know, we, he, he's in hospice, right? I, you know, I know this is like it. And um, I, and this is something that we always talk about how good of a person Greenlay is. So, I go into my room and I look at my cell phone and immediately after the loss, I have a text message from Greenlay saying, how's Lenny doing? And I said, actually, he's hanging with us. And all of a sudden there's just in my back of my mind, I like listen and I don't hear him breathing, you know, from the other room. 
And I was sleeping. I was letting my mom go to the this other part the of the house. This was the 14 season, right? Yeah, this was, was yep. my second yep. year, I think, if I remember. It was um, the spring was of the, 14. Yeah, right, because they played the 12-13. They played Chicago Blackhawks in the playoffs. Yep. Because that's when I first went down to Florida because he had had the, you know, got sick out of the blue. And um, so this would have been the following late January. And I just, I, I'm like, I don't hear him breathing and and that's when i like knew like it, he just needed me to leave the room turn the game off turn off the lights and get the hell out of my way lapanta muted and, 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 and i just think it's amazing that the last thing he's ever heard well and what i remember what stands out to me is aj and Vinny were were sitting on either side of my dad's bed and i've never been in the room when somebody's passed before and all of a sudden we all just kind of looked at each other like the next breath never happened and we all looked at each other and said, is that really it? Is that, yeah. is that what just happened? And it was crazy. It was, and we had checked him in there the night before the people at the hot, when we checked him in, they had said, yeah, you're not talking months anymore. You're talking weeks. And he lived like 14 hours or something. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. I, I just think he knew that he had had enough and it was time to go. Yeah. By the way, I just sent Brandon a text and I said, um, at 25 to 26 <laughs> minutes, I say fucking four times. So just let them know to, to send this right. out. And so. what, which is, this is a normal occurrence on yeah, this exactly. podcast is um, that we have to beep out the Russo. Yeah. And there is no good segue to go to commercials right now. So I'm just going to say this. You know, another thing your father would have loved is when you tore your ACL and had to go to Tria. <laughs> go. He, he so. would have loved that. He would have. He, my dad was an anti, he did not like going to the doctor because he was always afraid what he was going to find out. I, that morning that I tore my ACL, MCL, meniscus on the ski slopes, I did not want to go to the doctor because I knew that they were, Margo was going to snap. So, but I did. And Dr. Boyd did a tremendous job on it. And, and I, we've got a couple friends who right now are going through ACL surgery and rehab. And I just said, just trust your doctor because that's what I did with Dr. Boyd at TRIA. He gave me the exact dates at this many months, you'll feel this at this many months, you'll feel this. He turned out that he was almost to the day exactly right with the rehab process. And I came back bigger, faster, stronger than I had ever been before. So if you, if, whether you're an athlete trying to get yourself back on the field or you're just a guy like me that was hoping that his wife would let him go skiing again, <laughs> if you've got an injury, go to Tree Orthopedics. Right. Here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Everything is about to change. If you've been watching the news, you know that interest rates are likely to rise several times in 2022. That means the time to sell your home is now. Buyers want to buy before rates go up, so they're highly, highly motivated. And if you're holding out because you can't find a place to move to next, well, Christendahl Real Estate has the perfect solution to help you. It's their guaranteed offer program. Guaranteed offer means you can sell now while your equity is high, then pick your closing dates so you have more time to buy while interest rates are at historic lows. Bottom line, when interest rates rise, selling opportunities fade. Now is the perfect time to sell your current home and find your next one. But the window is closed closing fast. 
by this time next year, don't regret sitting on the sidelines while others perfectly time the real estate market. Act now and take advantage of this unique and once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Join thousands of other homeowners who have already received a guaranteed offer by christendahl.com today. That's christendahl.com. That's Chris with a K. Some terms and conditions apply. Anthony, uh, the Wilds goaltending is um, really, really been erratic lately, uh, you know, to say the least. Uh, you know, last night was a game that um, I think has happened too much lately. Like, this is a fragile team. You need your goalies to come through. And I know there's a lot of stuff that happens before these goals against breakdowns, you know, turnovers, all sorts of stuff that puts Cam Talbot and Capo Kakinen in a tough, tough spot. But you just can't drop pucks that lead to no. rebounds. And as you've had in your notes a lot on your charts on Valley Sports North, up until a couple of weeks ago, this team never gave up rebound shots, let alone goals. Right. They were number one in the league in rebound shots against. And I I agree with part of what you're saying, and I disagree with the other part. Mm -hmm. the The one part is their goaltending hasn't been good enough. There's no question about it. It hasn't been good enough. And there have been some nights where I didn't think it was as bad as the numbers would indicate or even some of the comments would indicate. But when you're in a bad rut, you always seem to be getting bad bounces. And bad bounces, yes, they even out. There are, When you're going great, shots hit the crossbar and ricochet away. But I also think there are times where you just need a big save, and they haven't gotten that. They got... Kakinen the other night in Buffalo had yeah. two that I thought were, these are the kind of saves that get things turned around. Yeah, the Made right the skate. big save, and then all of a sudden, now out. you find a way, you win the game, and you move on. And they almost did. Unfortunately, they almost did, but and then they got victimized by some bad luck. Puck gets a skate of a ref, deflects right out front. If Skinner doesn't fan on it, the first shot saved. He Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Yeah. I thought Kakinen in the Dallas game was... I thought that was the first game where he really looked like I think the goalie cost the team the game. Most of the time, the other ones, I agree with your comment that people don't see the six things that led no. to the, the chance before the goalie ever let it go in. So they've got to get better goaltending. There's no question about it. The part I disagree with what your analysis was, though, is I didn't get the sense like it was because the team was fragile. So... You were talking about the challenge the other day, and I thought it was it was a poor challenge, and Dean alluded to that today. It was a bad time to make a challenge, and then when you throw on top of it, you got a penalty kill that right now is mid-50s percent over the last few games. You better be sure before you challenge. The game wasn't in the balance yet at that point. But I didn't get the sense that that it wasn't like they lost the challenge and then came out and played any differently. They played They played just fine. They just couldn't score, and their goalie couldn't make a save. So I didn't really look at it as a fragile team. We've seen this team in fragile states in previous years where all of a sudden something went wrong, and the next five minutes they couldn't get the puck out of their own zone. That wasn't what happened against Dallas. They just couldn't score. Yeah, you know, and look, you're right. I mean, like, you look at the analytics, and they were in the offensive alone a lot. They had possession of the puck a lot. But they definitely, in that second period, didn't play the same. Now, they played really good in the third period, but a lot of that is depressing. They were without their goalie for, you know, a large Eight portion minutes. of that period. And, and for some reason, this team 
plays better without its goalie. I don't know why that is. I mean, they have like 10% of their goals a season on it. Six 17, on five. It's crazy. 17 to 17 yeah. with end of game pulled goalie yeah. situations. They've scored 17, allowed 17, and and the allowed number has gone way yeah, up here lately. Yeah, they've given up like 11 in the last 10 games or something. Right. Something and crazy. So that's, that's a little different, but I... The, I did a, and we'll have it in our show for the Rangers game tomorrow night. They've lost eight out of 10. And the game has felt different, though, to me, the last four. So we broke it down the by high danger chances for and expected goals for. Mm-hmm. In the first six games of the stretch, one and five, their expected goals for and their high danger chances for percentages were both in the low 40s. In the last four games, still only one win, one and three, those numbers are both in the 60s. That tells you the rest of the game is going the right direction. They just, one, haven't finished efficiently enough, and two, haven't gotten enough saves. And the finishing enough stuff always, to me, seems like it evens out over the course of the year. They had some stretches earlier this year where they were cashing in on way more chances than they should. Yeah, they have like the second most seven-goal games in the league. Right, but I'm talking yeah. about their goals above expected goals. Yeah, yeah. They were third or fourth in the league for a while. That stuff always seems to come back because guys with high shooting percentages, it's not just because they're snipers. Usually it's just because pucks are going in at a higher rate than are likely to continue. And on the other end, though, the saves in high-danger situations – they just need more saves. And we'll see. I when Dean pulled Capo in the Dallas game. I thought it was th- a goal too late. I thought I kind of agree with you, but I think he was just hoping yeah. that let's we'll see if Capo yeah. can get through this. But I really believe at some point there all it'll take is one night where yeah. the goalie plays like they had been playing for really for the yeah. first up through mid-January. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you might see things. Yeah, get there, back on the you know it's funny way. because, uh, like, look, Dina is obviously loathes pulling his goalie. He hasn't even done it. He, didn't, you know, the other the other times that there have been goalie replacements, Cam Talbot's gotten hurt. I mean, he even replaced Capo when he gave up nine in St. Louis. Um, so I understood. I, I didn't expect him to pull Capo at the third goal, even though I think he should. But nine seconds later, I said this to Dane Mizutani who, by the way, mispronounces his own name. He, call, he says he's Dane Mizutani when he checks into hotels. I don't know why he doesn't know his name's Probably pronounced Probably just Mizutani. so that they can spell it right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I said to him nine seconds later, so I don't know if you remember, because I don't, you didn't call the game, but Pavelski throws a dribbler into the offensive zone. Puck comes in the crease. There's two. There's a defenseman around him. No four-checkers coming on Dallas. They were four-checkers coming, but they were like 10 feet away, and he just freezes the puck there for a defensive zone draw. And I turned to Dane and I said, they got to get him out of here. He is absolutely rattled. I said, the, I said to him, the next goal is going to be ugly and it's going to kill him. And what happened a couple minutes later, he gives up this, the screenshot, but a bad goal to, that goes between his shoulders to Yeah, I, and I thought the bigger thing for him, when he's off, it's rebound control. Yeah. And in that game, rebound, he gave up a great rebound chance on a puck that hit him right in the logo on the chest. Another one where it clanked off of his glove. And when he's on, when any goalie's on, those pucks are just swallowed up. And when he's off, they tend to be spit right back out for great chances. And that was the problem. I thought that was the indication that he was off his game. But he's been he's been really good. And when you really sit back and think about it and compare him to the other backup goaltenders in the league, 
there aren't very many teams who have gotten more quality production from a backup goalie than the Wild have from Kakamon. Mm. It's just been this last stretch of a couple of weeks where they both just seem a little off. Do you think that I, I, I was just spitballing uh, with uh, Barrero today? And of course, you know, when I, when I, I'm like Bruce Boudreaux, like sometimes when I'm talking on the radio, I have no idea what's going to come out of my mouth, but something popped in my head with him that I think I'm pretty accurate on. And tell me if you think I am. Isn't it interesting that Capo Kakinen, when Cam Talbot is hurt or when he had COVID, is always incredible? You know, he wins. Right. Well, but when Cam is healthy, is there? It's he different. just falls apart. Right. We've like, talked. Why to, do you think that is? I don't know, but I asked. So I asked. Well, I asked Dean about it. Mm-hmm. I asked Billy Garen about it one time, and I've asked Ryan Carter and Wes Walls on our broadcast, and. I said, is I know it, what my theory is. Well, so I think there's, it's a two-part thing. Number one, it's more regular work. So you're playing every other night, and you probably get more into, into a routine, mm-hmm. and that's no small thing. Then as opposed to in a normal backup role where you might play one out of every three right. or one out of every four games. And then the second is lack of pressure. Yes. You know that even if you give up three tonight, you're playing tomorrow. Right. See, I think it's more, I, I would say it another way. I would say it's like, I would say it's almost more pressure. I think that it's like in his mind, he knows, well, if it's not me, who else? I better be good. And I think that's part of it. I think that there's just something, I don't, and again, I don't think it's a conscious thing, but I just, I just find oh, it yeah, really I don't interesting. think it's conscious either, yeah. but I, just, I think there's something to be said for a guy who knows, I mean, think of a baseball player who knows if I go 0 for 4 tonight, I'm playing again tomorrow. If I go 0 for 4 tomorrow, I'm playing again the next day. And guys who have built up enough of uh, leeway, so to speak, to, that they've earned that. Whereas the rookie who comes up and says, if I go over for 4 tonight, I might not play for a week. I think that's more what's in the back of a young goalie's mind, where it's, if I give up three or four tonight, I, it might be a week and a half before I get another start. But if I know for sure I'm playing tomorrow night, no matter what, now the goal kind of rolls off your back yeah. a little easier. And, okay, I gave that one up, but let's just focus on the next play. Yep. Wanted to get some, I do want to get to some Twitter questions because there were a lot of really good ones this week. And those Twitter questions will help us get into other subjects that, that uh, fans want to hear. Uh, one, I don't know if you were watching practice today, but uh, Connor asked because I tweeted about it. I imagine by the time you get the questions, you'll have already ha- talked about it. But can you explain the face-off drill they did in practice today? I don't know if you saw I it. I was watching. Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. Um, Ryan Carter had said that he had never, ever in his history in the league seen a drill like this or been part of it. Marcus Fino said he had never been part of it and came in and said it was like a battle royale. But they're wild, as we all know, are um, the fourth worst face-off team in the NHL. Now, um, you know, I don't think the wild are str- – like the wild front office are painting it like, well, look at Colorado's bad, Florida's bad, all these other teams. But the difference with them is that like the wild – like I get that face-offs are overrated. Okay, but like the analytics people will tell you it doesn't make a big deal, but where it does make a big deal is on the power play and penalty kill where the wild absolutely ghastly, horrendous, abysmal, embarrassing, and it costs them 30 seconds every power play to start by losing their first draw, and on the penalty kill, it costs them about 30 seconds in the zone if they're not scored on by then. But that, I, I... Remiss. So, uh, but in this drill today, it was really interesting. It was looked, it reminded me of like a football practice. He has, he split the teams into two sides. He has one on one blue line, one on the other blue line. And every, for 15 minutes, he puts TJ Jindra, one of the, their assistant video coach. So, 
no offense, TJ, if you're listening, but I just thought it was funny that they take their lowest level coach and they put him in there as the linesman, put a freaking college uh, helmet on him with a full cage because it was so dangerous. And he drops the puck for 15 minutes with two wingers and a center battling their ass off. It was so physical. Guys are landing on their butt. They're hurting after everyone. And and what, to me, the message was, what was what Felino basically said the message was, is that it's not like we might say Ryan Hartman lost 15 of 16 draws tonight, but it's but but a faceoff stat goes to the center, but it's a team stat. These pucks are laying there. The wingers need to be more aggressive and go win that battle. And my only concern tomorrow is that now they're gonna get like four interference penalties off draws because they're gonna just go crazily after after these faceoffs. Well, there's a lot here to to discuss. Yeah. And the <laughs> The the wingers rolling a face off is no small part, right. and I I love the drill for that reason. I've had a lot of discussions lately with Billy Guerin about this, mm-hmm. with Dean Evison about it, and with Matt Sells, the Wilds analytics guy, about it, because there is a part of them that has been looking at this saying face offs are not directly correlated to victories very often, and if you look. The teams at the bottom, yes, they're fourth from the bottom, and right there with them, Colorado, Florida, and Washington. They are. There's only one. There's the five bottom faceoff teams in the league. Four of them currently hold playoff spots. At the same time, if you look at the top six faceoff teams in the league, five of those are playoff teams. So over the course of a full season, just taking the full faceoff win percentage, it might not. But at key points in a game. One face-off absolutely makes a world of difference. Mm-hmm. You mentioned power play and penalty kill. That's a huge spot. It's 30 seconds sometimes on a power play if you lose that draw and have to go chase it back in your own zone. There are also just points at the end of a game where possession is so key. I just think what where you really want to study it is winning draws when you're in either your offensive or defensive zone. The draws out at center ice to start a period, what difference does it make? Even neutral zone draws after offside, what difference does it make? Other than if it's in the last 20 seconds of a game. But those draws in your own zone, that's a big deal. Absolutely. And teams run set plays off of those offensive zone faceoffs. So those are huge. And the Wild have downplayed it a little bit. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle where it's not time to panic if you're winning 47% of your faceoffs. But we've seen it in some games where the number's 30%, and that's a problem. And I, in fact, I just was talking to Matt Sells about this when we were on this trip. And I said, look at Florida. They win 43% of faceoffs, but they are so tenacious yeah. that they get the puck back so often that it doesn't matter. And then you look at Philadelphia, and this was where we were having the discussion. Philadelphia is one of the best faceoff teams in the league. If you are such a terrible possession team, you'd almost rather lose the faceoff because yeah. they win the faceoff, but then turn it over in their own zone all the time. <laughs> so, I mean, there are so many other variables that go into yeah. this, and I believe faceoffs are a bigger part of the game than some analytics guys will tell you. I, I do too. To but me, it's, it's all about possession. Like, I remember yeah. Pat Quinn used to say, like, why do we have a lead where we dump the puck? The goal is to not. Like, why would you throw the puck away just to get it back? The goal is to hold it, and it's sort of the same thing. Um, any others? No, I, I just think it's. I think it's a big yeah. part of the game, and and I believe you have to be able to win draws if you're going to make a deep playoff run. Got a lot of questions from uh, fans about Jack McVean. 
Um, they're a third round pick from a couple of years ago. Uh, Jeff Merrick, uh, the incredible, incredible uh, Sportsnet um, uh, analyst uh, and insider, and Elliot Freeman's co-host on Thirty Two Star uh, uh, Thoughts and um, co and host the Jeff Merrick Show. So he's been uh, talking the last couple of days about how you know if the Wild can't uh, sign Jack McBain, that it's very likely that they trade. Uh, his rights, um, you know, uh, he's 100% on the money there. And I'll go even further to say now, after saying on this podcast for weeks that I expected the Wild to sign McBain, I'd be very shocked if they sign McBain. And because of that, I 100% believe that the Wild uh, will trade his rights uh, before the March 21st deadline, as long as Bill Guerin gets what he wants. Now, here's the deal here, is that his um, advisor, um, has the ability now to talk to other teams to find out where uh, Jack McBain wants to go if he was going to go somewhere on free agency. They will come to the wild and they will have that team will have to meet um, Bill Guerin's asking price. And if he doesn't, my gut says that Bill Guerin will let him just wait till August then. You know, he's not going to let him just, he'll have to sign then a two year deal, not burn the year, all that stuff. Like Jack, Bill Guerin is going to want to get what he wants to get. And so that could be thrown into a bigger trade. Uh, my, get is, my gut says is that Bill is asking for a high draft pick from a team, not actually a player right now or even a prospect. My gut says a, a high draft pick. Um, uh, Which I, is exactly what, if you look at the Wilds organization yeah. right now, you need a draft pick more than you need a prospect uh, yeah. that's close to NHL ready. Right. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, Jack, for some reason, doesn't want to sign here. Um, is what I'm hearing, and uh, you know, my gut says that he is going to uh, have his rights traded here in the next couple of weeks. And in a lot of ways, you know, look, this is somebody that hasn't broken out until this year for Boston College, and he's been absolutely awesome for them. Um, but in a lot of ways, he hasn't done that his first three years in college. And um, you know, to me, this is actually a good thing because now, if Bill Guerin actually wants to, not a good thing, I shouldn't say that because he could turn out to be a great player. But what to me it does now is that whoever team is going to covet Jack McBain is going to now give up an asset for him that it puts Bill in a position where it's another like you know now you're not maybe trading a Beckman or trading a Lambos or trading a your own second round pick or something like that. Now maybe he still will, but to me now he's on in play to be dealt, and that actually. Um, could save the wild from actually a prospect um, or a top pick from in another trade. So we will see there. Um, before we get to more Twitter questions, anything else? Um, gold, you know, the one I've got a lot of goaltending questions. Uh, somebody asked, and this was an interesting one um, because I was looking if Bill Guerin, I don't think Bill Guerin is going to address the goaltending situation. I don't either. I think he's going to live and die with these guys. Now, things could change here in the next two weeks. We've learned quickly here. We, we were reminded quickly here the last couple of weeks how fast things can change in the National Hockey League. Um, like, they're not, like, I know everybody keeps on saying flower, 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 and I love yeah. Mark Andre Fleury, but he's been. I think bad right this now year. that this is what you have if you're the Wild. Yeah. And because. If you have assets to trade, there are other needs that they would address. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that if these guys are good enough, you'll make your run. And if they're not, you won't. I, I just don't think right now that there's going to be a major trade made that's going to address that's going to change the Wilds goaltending yeah. situation dramatically. Mick I think Gerhard, if there's a major though, deal yeah. made, it's going to be to yeah. add a piece somewhere else. So lately, like people keep on saying flower, flower, flower. The, the two names that I actually think that might be interesting and cheap would be Corpusalo or, or what Nick Tierhar asked about is Anton Forsberg. Either of those guys do anything for you? Nope. 
Corpus is having a bad year, but just came back from injury. In fact, who knows? The the Blue Jackets play Thursday, Friday, so he could play against the Wild this week. Um, Forsberg has been really good this year for Ottawa. He's been good, but uh, but he hasn't. Been able, he but Matt Murray's been better. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. the second best goalie yeah. on one of the worst teams in the league. I um I I think that uh, if anybody's getting Forsberg, Edmonton makes a lot of sense. Um, Jordan Durand uh, says, uh, who's uh, we know very well, uh, Michael, longtime listener, first time caller, which is absolutely not true. But I like this question. Just wondering if you remember the article you published a couple months ago about the Wild being so great and that would never fail or ever fall apart. And would you consider this a jinx? And would Anthony consider this a jinx? Anthony a lot would of people, not. A Anthony lot of people not. have asked if you now believe in the Russo curse. No. It's so ridiculous. There I'm is no with, doubt that if I didn't write that article, this team would not have fallen apart. Right. If you hadn't written that article, the Wild probably would have won eight of their last ten. And yeah. right now they'd be we'd be talking about President's Cup. Track Rat Vinster asks, um, is it a coincidence that when the Wild put Victor Rask on waivers and sent him to Iowa that they began to tank, and when will he be recalled? He was the glue, wasn't he? The secret glue. Yeah. It just, he was, the guy had more lives than anybody. I mean, they tried to send him down, tried to put him on so many times, and then all of a sudden somebody would get hurt, he'd be back in the lineup, and... Look, it just never worked out with Victor Rask here. It just didn't. He was a he had more skill than his numbers ever indicated. It just didn't work out here. Yeah. And he was really a nice guy and had some talent, had proven that he could score in the NHL. It just wasn't the right fit here. You know what I can't believe I haven't said is uh, our next live show is a week from Monday, March 15th at Split Rocks. Split Rocks in Wyoming, 7 p.m. Is it the 15th? Uh, isn't it on a Tuesday? March 15th. Didn't we do this last week? All right, it's next Tuesday. You're right. <laughs> Our last podcast, we could have figured the last out. Last time it was because I had the last wrong time date on you my were watch. wrong, and this right. time I'm wrong. Right. A week from the day this podcast came out, like I was trying to say, March 15th, Tuesday, at Split Rocks in Wyoming. Awesome, awesome place. We had a great time there. I met the mayor, mayor of Wyoming. That was fun. And um, the, wasn't the Minnesota district attorney there or something there yeah, was somebody they were having else like some doing sort of, a, they were having something in the we were side really room. involved in minnesota politics yeah, that exactly. night while we were there um, we didn't know it i just enjoyed talking to the mayor i just like talking to politicians because it's like something you know i think i'd be a great politician don't you i think actually i don't um, but keep going uh, march 15th 7 p.m a week from the day this podcast comes out split Tuesday. rocks wyoming uh definitely come on out there um here's a word from minnesota propane association the Shearer family enjoys spending a lot of time outside. Hence, we care what goes into our environment. That's why we support propane, the energy for everyone. Did you know that propane produces fewer greenhouse gas emissions than electricity generated on the U.S. grid? Propane's emissions are 43% fewer. That's a lot. Propane is clean, dependable, and affordable. Plus, it's produced right here in the USA. Let's all do our part to reduce emissions from our homes, cabins, and businesses by choosing propane, the right energy right now. To learn more about propane, the energy for everyone, go to propane.com. Hey, I want to tell you about my friends over at Profile. Staying healthy during Minnesota winters isn't easy. Short days and cold nights make it hard to eat right and stay active. Uh, so do long plane rides and long road trips, by the way. Um, but don't panic. I have a solution for you, and the solution is called Profile. When you join Profile, you're assigned a certified health coach who is with you every step of the way. In fact, today at practice, I talked to Deb, my Profile health coach, on the phone. The coaches are amazing, and the food is delicious. 
Profile worked for me and it can work for you too. Don't delay. Visit profileplan.com slash twin cities and launch your transformation today. Tell them that Russo sent you. That's profileplan.com slash twin cities and something smells great in this house and I know where you got it. We got it at Kowalski's. I was just wondering if you told Deb you were going to have a seven and seven tonight. No, should, hopefully Deb doesn't listen to this podcast. The yeah, Kowalski's is, we're thrilled it's, to have them. At least it's diet as, soda. You it is diet seven up, sugar-free seven up, which my dad would have never drank, by the way. And you'll notice your drink has no citrus in it because he was not a lemon-lime guy. It was, I want the Seagram's and a little splash of seven up. But Kowalski's is the place to go for the best food and when you're going to, have a great meal. You got to start with great ingredients. And I always do that at Kowalski's. We had a couple really good ones lately. We had Akushi strips last night for dinner. We had halibut the night before with a pistachio crust on it that was awesome. And I've mentioned to people this, I think I might have called it the buck bucket, but it's really, I saw the sign yesterday. It's called the cheese bucket, but it's the same thing. It's the gist of it is that you get the great cheeses. So if you go there, check it out. It's in their little deli area and try the. Bella Santori soaked in cognac. It like costs like $90 a pound, but you get a little chunk of it for like seven or eight bucks and it's worth it. You'll just have a couple slices of it. You'll love it. You won't be disappointed. Check it out. The cheese bucket at Kowalski is just another reason to go there. That's awesome. I just Venmoed my sister-in-law. Uh, uh, I, I bought my brother and her and my mom uh, dinner tonight and I just, uh, my subject while you were talking there was uh, Adam's 50th birthday, just as a joke, since he's not 50. But anyway, um, but but he, feels, he told me he feels 50, so I, I did that while you were telling the call. How old do you course. feel you are? I feel like I'm 1,000. <laughs> that's, that's actually kind of about what I thought you would say. You know what, actually? Uh, so I had somebody ask me the other day. They said, if you didn't know... Yeah. If, if you didn't know what the number was, how old would you be if you were as old as you feel? thousand that's what uh, a thousand i'd see i'd be a lot less than a thousand yeah i don't feel um i don't feel young that's for sure <laughs> um especially since the herniated disc which by the way has like the pain's completely gone but the one thing that is making me nervous that i need to reach out to the doctors about is like my left leg just isn't as strong anymore and like i'm falling like i'm like I mean, like I'm a thousand years old i am falling like twice a week in public in front of people like, like falling, I fell falling? in a press like, box like, the other day. I, I fell how do you fall? after just fall. I don't have a lot of weight. Like I have a lot of weight, but not a lot of strength. So just like leg. tip over yeah, randomly, it's like a blown like tire, spontaneously just, just tip over. Fall. So you can, you and I could be standing there tomorrow listening to Dean, and you might just tip over. Not uh, while I'm walking. So if we're walking with Dean, there's a 50-50 chance that I'm going to fall. <laughs> so Hideki asks, you might have bigger issues than how old you feel. I know. <laughs> It's only going to get worse, and you're going to be right there along for the ride. I, I will be laughing my ass off. <laughs> yeah, like wait till we're like walking in Detroit. When we go to Detroit, days, if we're walking falling. down the street and you just happen to fall, yeah. it it'll make for good dinner conversation. Yeah, I don't know if we're having dinner in uh, Detroit. I don't get in till super late, like seven p.m. No, that's past your bedtime. Hideki asks, uh, do you think the Wild would become sellers at the deadline if they don't figure out a way? No. I would have trouble believing that. Absolutely but again, not. as I just said, I mean, two weeks ago, I didn't think they'd be in this position. Like, things change so quickly. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, Sports Crunch asks, I'm just reading these as, they, as I copied and pasted them, so I don't know if they're... Uh, I'm just happy you haven't fallen out of your chair. Yeah. 
Uh, would they ever sell Zuccarello because he's having a career and is old enough that a decline should be expected in the near future? Um, I, you know, and and the one thing that Sports Crunch uh, mentions, Sport Crunch mentions, is uh, but I would want to be con- very confident I can manage the fallout with Kaprizov before doing that. I I just think you don't take one. Of your, like I get what you're saying in terms of the whole regression no. of an older player, but uh, no you know, way Kaprizov. I, excuse me. Zuccarello it does not strike me as somebody that's going to lose his hands or his skating in the next little while. And this year, one, he might be having the, the best, best year, year he's, he's ever had. had. And the other thing with Zuccarello is one, the guy wants to win, but two, like it really, like I, I know what you're saying, Sport Crunch, that you want to be very confident about managing the fallout with Kaprizov. If you if you trade Capri, uh, Zuccarello, there will be a fallout with Kaprizov. I mean, that is just there's no way to explain. Well, to and him there why should you're be, but this. there'd be yeah. a fallout with everybody, everybody inside in that room and yeah. the fan base. Yeah. No, the the guys in that room love him. Uh, Keith Landgrieve asks uh, Greenway has been uh, out for most of the team's current skid, and it certainly feels like Duham is um, miscast on the grief line. Do you think Greenway's return may help? Uh, well, I think it gets regains the identity of the team. Um, to change the subject a little bit, you know, uh, boy, Duham just hasn't been the same lately. Like, I, I hate I hate to say it, like, oh, I, I kind of wonder, I wonder if we're going to get to the rink tomorrow and find out he's not playing, Anthony. Like, th- there are certain rookies that do need a little, like, you know, a little rookie wake-up, and whether it's in the press box to watch from above, like we saw with Nico Sturm last year, or if it was... I just or, had this same conversation yeah. with Vinny yesterday while we were watching the game. Really? And I said, I just think Duhame looks like a guy who needs a night in the press box. Yeah. And with how well Connor Dewar's played, he's been good. There's You could certainly do it now with Greenway coming back. I don't know if that's the way they're headed or not, but... He just looks. I I love the. I love his game. Yeah. I love what he brings. I love his energy. I love his speed, but he's just not been quite the same for the last couple of weeks. And yeah. maybe just a night off. And, and I hate and, to say and like internal competition is yeah. a good thing yeah. for young players. We've seen it with a lot of guys over the years that they just tend to get. And and I don't. I don't want to almost hesitate to say this because it makes it sound like it's a conscious decision by him to coast. They get comfortable thinking now I'm an NHL guy. It isn't a conscious thing. It's just subconsciously. They don't have quite the same edge to their game because they're not fighting for their spot in the lineup that night. And if you keep the, if everybody stays healthy and all of a sudden you have, let's say you have Dewar and Duhame both here. Now all of a sudden, those two guys, Nico Sturm, Nick Bukestad, even Greenway, these guys are all fighting to stay in yeah. the lineup on an every night basis, yeah, and, and that makes that, it different. Yeah, that night in the press box that Nico Sturm had last year, and he had a couple, uh, but when that first game back, man, he was a pit bull. Um, Jason Malley, uh, do you think the Wild will do more call-ups to give players maintenance days to stay more healthy, fresh for the arduous second half of the season? Well, remember, after the March 21st deadline, you only get four non-injury call-ups, so it's not something – you can't just do that in the NHL because of this very reason. No, what so, you can do is if you have salary cap guys. flexibility, yeah. you can carry 23 guys. Yeah. Well, after and, the trade deadline, you can actually have much, much more, and the Wild but, actually have that. But you, yeah. But you have to have room under the cap in order to do it. Yeah. So then it's the call-ups that don't have to do with that, yeah. that you only, you're only you limited. So, that's, that's but to me is what's so weird about McBain not signing is that the Wild would burn the year and put him in the lineup right now. I'm convinced of it. And, uh, you know, um, it's very strange. Um, John Santel, man, asked about Cody Akins. Uh, not a, uh, you're not a great red hair, but that's about it. Um, here's an interesting one. Wildfire, 
um, who I think, uh, I think his kids, I saw a picture on Twitter. I think his kids met uh, Kaprizov today. Uh, does Kaprizov play in the middle more uh, than the average left winger? And if so, is that by coaching design or player preference? I feel like when I used to watch clips of him in Russia, he did as well. It just must be him as a player. That's the interesting thing about Kaprizov. That guy does not shy away from traffic. He'll play in the middle of the ice. He'll play deep in the corners. He'll play in front of the net. But that's really, that's the Wilds' offensive structure. Where it really matters is the other end. And that's where you want your center to be in a specific center role. Once they're in the offensive zone, it's a five-man deal. And they, I don't, especially when it's he and Zuccarello. The way they circle in the offensive zone, the way they switch sides, the way they switch roles, the way they switch spots, when you really see it is as soon as one of those guys isn't on the ice. So when Zuccarello missed these last couple games and whoever was on their line with them, mm-hmm. the number of plays where you could almost see, oh, Zuccarello's going to be there. Wait, he's not the guy on the ice. Did you even and- just see last night? You might have not noticed this on TV, but there was a late, late line change on a power play where Hartman didn't come off, but the entire first unit came on and Zuccarello was stuck on the bench. And Kaprizov gets the puck in the left corner and starts looking around for Zuccarello and you could almost see it. Where Has is he? No idea right. what to do now, and it actually ruined <laughs> that shift. I, d- and I do that's remember. That's the only reason why Hartman and Zuccarello changed because, like, Kaprizov finally just turned the puck over. Like, it was weird. It, but the way those two guys find each other is amazing. Yeah. And so it doesn't. It, it doesn't surprise me that he looks like he winds up in the middle more. It's because everybody else just get out of the way and let these two guys pass the puck back and forth. That's crazy. Uh, Brett Hartley um, asked, should the Wild have kept Suter, not only from a personnel standpoint, but financially as well? Well, remember, if they still had Suter, their dead money, like their dead money for Suter is actually less than what his AAV used to be last year. So from financially, technically not, other than it'd be one player, you know, uh, more on the roster making that money rather than dead money. Um, you know what's funny, by the way? I saw Suter last night and I said hello to him. Guy never ages. He's the same guy. Like he he's gonna want to play till he's fifty. I'm convinced. He will that. play. The contract he signed in Dallas yeah. was a great contract yeah, for the Dallas Stars. Like it was a great deal for Dallas. Yeah. They're gonna get a player that's a pretty good player for the remainder of that contract. Yep. Um we'll conveniently not answer the question. I mean, should they have kept him? I, no. You know, I mean, look, you know, it's debatable. No, the, I mean, this the one was, it was time to separate. Yeah. The one thing that obviously, though, is is, is obvious is that, that Galagasi is not playing very well right now. And I think there is a concern inside the organization about that. Um, it's interesting. Um, you know, a couple more questions, then we're going to wrap up the show. We've gone on long enough. Um, man, I do have a lot of questions here. Let me find some good ones. Um, here's one that's interesting. Uh, where the... Were the Wild hoping for better production from uh, Adam Beckman in the AHL? Seems like his numbers leave a bit to be desired based on what we've seen from him in the preseason, a short stint in the NHL. Um, as I always say, I always talk when with not knowing what's going to come out of my mouth. Um, so let me just put it this way. Like, Adam Beckman's going to be fine. This is part of the process. He's a 20-year-old player. He is playing the third line down there. He's learning to be a pro. Physically, he's not... 
as mature as he's going to be one day. The outside expectations of him are based on what we saw in training camp. Nobody expected him to have a chance to make a team. Everybody expected Rossi and Boldy to be the guys that had the pressure in camp. And Beckman comes out of nowhere and it was unbelievable in camp. But he's a good player. It takes times. You know, there are day-to-day demands that he's learning right now in the minors that are going to be absolutely great for the process. And look, he's he's down there playing well. He's playing the flank on the power play. Um, you know, uh, he's. I, I, I looked the other day. I looked, and he was second in uh, in the AHL amongst rookies with like 140 shots. Um, you know, he's got to get out of some junior habits. Um, he's gonna be fine. Um, so uh, this is not abnormal that he is. First of all, again, he's playing with like guys like Cody McLeod, so he's not going to get a ton of production at even strength. But this is not abnormal. There are so many great NHL players that their rookie years in the AHL were pretty pedestrian. Marco Rossi is having an unbelievable year down there, and he's going to be all the better for it when he gets here either late this season or, or next year. So, And Beckman's going to be a good player in yeah. the NHL. Yep, He's going to exactly. be a good player. He isn't going to be Marco Rossi. He probably isn't going to be Matt Boldy, but he's going to be a good NHL player. Exactly. Um so uh, Jesse Pierce put out a tweet today that she uh, came up with this divine drink at Starbucks with cold brew with milk, toffee nut, raspberry, and cold foam. And Hideki wants to know, do you guys ever um, change pace, get away from our Americanos, and have a foo-foo drink uh, once in a blue moon? You? You don't have not, a- No, not a foo-foo drink. I do <laughs> have a- I I do- that's, that's worth you just, this whole podcast was worth you right. saying foo-foo. No, I- I occasionally will have the nitro cold brew and we'll have a little coconut milk in it. And it's, but that, and that but, pisses me off because when I'm ordering it for you to bring it to here to do a podcast, I don't know how to order something right. like I, that. So I just order it and have you pick it up. That's a, no, is the short answer to the question. And you missed it today because it would have, you would have lost your mind and had to storm out of the room. The argument between Kevin Gorg and Dan Myers about whatever. Dan Myers ordered from Starbucks today and Kevin who hasn't had a doesn't go to Starbucks ever or had drink coffee proclaiming to him that it was the same as ordering a malt at Dairy Queen. I was there for so that. So it was the two and most misinformed people arguing I've ever heard and they both think they, they win say, the argument yeah. and the mic drop and walk away. I was like, I don't even just drop the mic, both of you, and leave. I don't. Yeah, I didn't even know where to begin to try to correct either <laughs> of them. Uh, Wild Boys, um, this is a great question. Dream place to do a podcast from can be anywhere, Anthony. You go first. Well, I don't mind when it's in our kitchen. <laughs> that, that makes it easy for me. You know what would be a really cool place to do a podcast? Like one of like the villa in Tuscany that we all were at on our defineddestinations.com tour, which you can go to right now to come with us to uh, Eastern Europe next year. Hopefully <laughs> this year, this summer. Hopefully. We're, we think we're going to Eastern Europe. If not, we have till mid-April to change our itinerary, uh, which I've already told Michael Kenny that if we're not going to Prague, um, I haven't even Budapest told you guys in Vienna. Uh, Budapest and Vienna um, that w- I want to go to Southern Italy, uh, Amalfi Coast, Sicily, see my ancestors. Well, so do you think that you're going to have to twist my arm to go to Southern no, Italy? I, I've been not arguing for that trip for a couple yeah, of years. No. Number one. Number two is the villa in Tuscany would have been a great place to do anything. Yeah. So <laughs> we could do a podcast there or we could just sit around a table and drink some wine and we'll do a live in-person podcast podcast for anybody who wants to come and hang out with us there. Uh, Alec asks, who's the big first name to move uh, in the league? 
Um, it's a good question. Well, it's already happened. Tyler yeah. Toffoli. Yeah. What uh, a huge man. addition and that I was. I thought that it was an overpay and I love tree living. I think he's a great GM and I think that was a great, great move for them. And man, has he made an impact already? Yeah. No he's doubt. been huge. And, and yeah. right now, you could make the argument they're the team to beat in the West. Yeah. I don't think it'll be Giroux, though, because I really think that genuinely he wants to play his thousands game in Philly, which is only a couple days before the trade deadline. Um, I think that – I think we – let me just – what does Anthony think of uh, Olive Garden? And, and be kind because um, it's a small – like, you know how you say it's a small hockey world? It's a small podcast world. God knows one day we might have to do our podcast at Olive Garden. Don't you love <laughs> the breadsticks there and the, the, uh. the uh, never-ending salads? We used to, way back in the, let's see, how many years ago would that have been? Probably 20 years. We used to go to Olive Garden a fair amount. And but that was when you were uh, stealing Vinny's uh, uh, commercial money. No, we weren't stealing money, but it was. <laughs> but we, were, we ate more pasta back then, and we're, we don't eat a lot of pasta or bread anymore, so it doesn't really make a lot of sense to go there. But we used to go there a lot in our, the early years of our marriage, and... It's it's not if if we're gonna go out for dinner and this is not just Olive Garden, I just am not a big chain restaurant guy. So when we go on the road, I want to find a restaurant that is only in that city, even around here locally. If I want to go to a little hole in the wall place, we got a great little local place nearby, mm -hmm. a couple of them, and a little bit better. I'd rather go. You know, we've talked about this. We stop at Shore 96 on our way home. We go to Baltimore for a little bit nicer dinner. I would go to those type of places a hundred times in a row before I would stop at a chain restaurant. Right. Um, uh, last couple quickies. Um, somebody asked, uh, why do we not ever hear about Spurgeon trade rumors? Only Dumba, and that's based on contracts. Spurgeon's the captain. He's got a no-move yeah, clause, and Dumba's got two, got a year left on his deal at six. Um, somebody said, here says, could Chikrin make some sense? Uh, not having a great year, but big lefty top 4D on a good contract. Um, really good contract, but, but you know, again, to do it, you'd have to trade money. I mean, you couldn't then re-sign guys like uh, Fiala. Um, you have any, I, I any like thoughts Chikrin on as the a player, yeah, but, I, love him. Yeah, but I, haven't, I haven't looked at all yeah. on the, how the contracts would work or anything, but I do like him as a player. Any high school boys predictions? Well, I like this Hill Murray a lot. Yep, I like Hill Murray a lot. I also like, I think Creighton Durham Hall's got a, a complete team, and I've only watched him a couple times online. I haven't seen him in person. But they've got goaltending, and they're deep. I think they, they might, those two teams, and I know they're the top two seeds, so it's kind of the easy pick for those to say those two are the teams to beat. But Edina I, I, surprised me that they got by Benilde St. Margaret's in that section. I really, I had, I hadn't seen Benilde, but I had heard other coaches say that they thought they were as good as anybody. So I'll go with Bill Lechner's Hill Murray team to come out on top. Last question, Wild Boys: uh, Who you guys got in the national championship? Um, I'll let you go for national for, championship for college, for hockey. college hockey. Uh boy, I haven't watched it's enough college be the Mavericks, hockey. Right? I, it won't be the Mavericks. <laughs> I haven't watched enough Dan college Myers hockey and Ryan to. Carter are gonna just I know, you. but I. I haven't watched enough to have a really educated opinion on college hockey. I I like the way Minnesota's played lately. I have watched them a couple times. Michigan, I think, is loaded. Yeah. And so I, I'll take Michigan to win it, but I'll say Minnesota's got a team that will probably make some noise in the tournament this year. Um, great podcast. Again, next live show, March 15th, a week from today, meaning, 
meaning Tuesday. Tuesday. A week, week from Tuesday. Um, March 15th, Split Rocks in Wyoming, 7 p.m. Uh, it was awesome going up there last time, so hopefully everybody will come uh, from all sides of the Twin Cities and down there. Thanks to our sponsors, as always. Um, Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut Water Treatments. Tria, Bosch Law Firm, Chris Lindahl Real Estate. Propane, Minnesota Propane Association, Profile, and Kowalski's. Thanks, Anthony. Absolutely. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I come find you in the bar area. We sit down and I got this seven and seven in front of me and I'm like, what is this? I take a sip and I almost threw up right on the table.